0: This is God's Word. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. The Word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? Our gracious God... As we come into this room and there are songs on the screen with words that we're invited to sing that say things like, uh, we sing of your mercies, I sing of your grace. When some of us don't feel like singing, either because we don't know enough about you or you're not clear enough to us yet for us to really want to sing or to praise you, or because we have um, things going on in our life that hurt, wounds that are too raw, we have questions that we feel like you need to answer to, maybe. And we come from all different places, because some of us are here, and we're grabbing hold of words like that, maybe more than ever in our life. And maybe some of us just uh, there's no explanation at all for just the the neutrality of our emotions and of our thoughts about you, we just just feel like we're drifting in a sea of monotonous boredom, hoping that the sun breaks through the clouds, that you break into our life in a way that wakes us up, that feels more real than you've felt to us recently. And from all these places that we come from, um... As we open up this message and try to learn from it and hear something in it from you, I pray that you you really help us to know how level the playing field is and how, how much we have in common when it comes to our own mess and our brokenness and the fragmentation of our lives. And as much as we try to cover it up and be people that we're not, we're more of a mess than we care to admit. And your response to that, that you teach us You teach us through. The grace that you come to us with says that you reach out to us in that mess and in that fragmentation and in that brokenness. Despite our mess, you love us more than we ever imagined. So will you come towards us and move towards us through the forgiving, redeeming love of Jesus in this message right now in such a way that our lives might be changed? In Jesus' name, amen. We are doing a series of messages on Twitter. Um, We're calling it Jesus Tweet. And um, the idea being that if Jesus lived today, I personally think he would be into Twitter. He would have a Twitter account and he would put out these tweets, as they're called, these, these messages with 140 characters. And he would do the microblogging, and he would get the message out in in uh, laser focused ways because that's how he taught. He was always condensing things down to metaphors and stories that we could understand. And um, I've been thinking about that, about how short, you know, how short the messages on Twitter are. If you're someone on on Twitter, you can find tweets about this series on Twitter if you follow the the person that we made up called a Jesus tweet. <laughs> So A Jesus Tweet, go on, follow that, that name, and then you'll get the tweets throughout the week about the series, and you can send them to your friends. Um, you can retweet them. But when I've been thinking about it, it it's, it's this thought of how short uh, Twitter's messages are, and I, I just should say, at some point in the series, that for those of you who are hoping that my sermons were going to be really, really short, that, that it just doesn't, in my mind, that doesn't relate, okay, so... Forty minutes from now, you'll be glad when I'm coming to a close. No, just kidding. Um, but I, I do find it really interesting that if you take, we had a very short scripture passage today. This is the original tweet. I mean, this is, and if you look at, I look, this is a Bible nerd thing. I looked at, um, I looked at the Greek text of this passage. And if you take the first sentences, fet sentence, there's only two sentences. If you take the first sentence, it's exactly 140 characters. Isn't that amazing? Doesn't that just... <laughs> there's, there's some atheist Twitter fan here today who says, I just became a believer because I love Twitter and that's so cool. Um, no, really, like, it's good to chuckle a little bit as we get into this message because this, this message where Jesus, he comes right out and says something so narrow-minded... I mean, really, it's not just that we hear it and there's something we're not understanding and, well, if we really hear what Jesus is saying here, it won't, doesn't sound so narrow-minded. It really, what, what Jesus says not only sounds narrow-minded, but in our, in our culture, in our, the ethos that you and I live in, We can't help but feel it in our bones that this is a a narrow-minded kind of thing for Jesus to say when he says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many are entering on it. (laughs) Um, But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. I mean, wow. Wow. Our, Our understanding of things is that you're supposed to you're supposed to say, you know, find your own way, find your own path. No one should be going around, especially Jesus, no one should be going around pressing their, their big ideas about faith and about God into other people's lives. Um, no one should be making big assertive statements about God and faith um, around other people. You're supposed to find your own path Your path is for you, my path is for me. And we've basically culturally in the last 100, 150 years banished this kind of narrow-mindedness from even conversation, so much so that um, I think that if someone... You've probably been in situations like this where someone does say some, something a little kind of narrow, a narrow opinionated kind of thing in mixed company, and you just kind of feel it in the tension because you just know they stepped over some invisible line and that's exactly what Jesus is doing it here. You'd be embarrassed. You are maybe embarrassed to hear these words up here. You'd be embarrassed if Jesus said this in in mixed company around you today. So we're going to look at three things that come out of this narrow-minded message. Um, and they go, it goes like this. First of all, that narrowness is inescapable. Second of all, that there's a shocking narrowness of the broad path. And third, that there's a refreshing broadness of the narrow path. All right, so there's, there's first of all, narrowness is inescapable. Um, there's a, a great a Nobel Prize winning astrophysicist named, um, his, I, I can't say his first name, but his last name is uh, Chandra Sek. Chandra Sekhar I can almost not say his last name Dr Chandra Sekhar who when he was 19 years old right around um, I think it was 1930 he it took him about 10 minutes making some calculations on his own and he proved mathematically that uh, that in the life cycle of a star there is a point where certain stars will turn into black holes he he discovered mathematically the existence of black holes. And um, the scientific community, the astrophysicists who were at the top at, at, at his day, when he presented this, they pushed it away. They said, no, 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 it can't be. It's, it's ridiculous. And it took decades before it began to be acknowledged and accepted that he really did figure it out um, way back then when he was 19 years old. So that's a pretty broad concept. That's a pretty... Um, f- pretty big idea that now this guy is known for, and his name is, is, has broad recognition. But, okay, so he was like an expert at math. Math was his first love, and then he was applying it to astrophysics. He had to, at one point in time, I can guarantee you, he had to sit down and learn, just like some of you have, that two plus two equals four. Sort of a joke in there that some of you, you can laugh, um, At one point in time, he had to, he had to learn that two plus two does not equal five. It equals four. Um, he had to, in other words, he had to spend a lot of time, and I've been reading about him, and he had to spend all, he spent all this time reading all the classic mathematical texts of his day. He had to just go very, very, very narrow and just learn all the basic fundamental principles of math. He had to go very, very narrow in order to be, to get to a point where he was, thinking very broadly and applying things very broadly. We know this is true. If you want to be an improviser of jazz uh, you know, music, you have to go very, very narrow and just practice, practice, practice on scales and in listening to, to people like Louis Armstrong and everyone else. You have to go very narrow in order to, to go broad. It applies to so many fields. Why is it? In the area of faith in God, that basically what we've said is, you know, when it comes to faith, when it comes to God, if you... You want to believe that 2 plus 2 equals 5. That is true for you. (laughs) I'm going to believe 2 plus 2 equals 4.5. So this person over here, 2 plus 2 equals 4. Why is it that in this one area of knowledge, we say, oh, no, 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 there's no place. There's no place for getting specific and narrow in order to, you know, progress, in order to, to grow, in order to get broader eventually. In some ways, I find, I find that there's something almost I I, almost insulting about, about the way we tend to approach that, as if the God search can settle for a lower standard of coherence, perhaps. Well, so anyway, Jesus, he's in the Sermon on the Mount here, and, and, um, and he basically, he says, you enter, when it comes to God, when it comes to faith, you enter through a narrow gate, and it, now, if you ask a Christian about that, they will say there is isn't just like with all other aspects of life, there is an inescapable narrowness to the Christian life. There's an inescapable narrowness to the, to the gate, if you will, to the entrance into the Christian life. There's a great quote in the worship guide on page four by um, uh, his last name's Loder, James Loder, um, and, and it talks about how he's praying with someone and in the middle of the prayer. This student of his cuts him off and says, I'm not ready for that. I had a very similar experience when I was um, helping someone who seemed to be at the point of being willing to accept God into their life in a very difficult spot. He was in a very troubled moment. And so I I offered him the chance to just kind of pray a prayer and repeat some of the things I was going to pray kind of for him, and he would repeat it. And it was this, this sort of big prayer of letting God into his life that he seemed ready to do, that he said he was ready to do. And so it went a little bit like this. Um, So I would say something, he would repeat it. Um, Dear God, uh, I really need your help. Dear God, I really need your help. Um, God, I've made a mess of my life. God, I've made a mess of my life. Uh, And I'm really at a point where I want your forgiveness. And I'm really at a point where I want your forgiveness. And I'm ready to depend on you for all things. I kind of opened my eyes because there was silence like that. And I looked and he said, I don't know if I can say that. And I think my uh, naivete, um, part of me, I, I almost wanted to say, I think, well, you know, I grew up in, you know, around church people and religious people. We say stuff like that all the time and we don't mean it. I mean, <laughs> the, you know, you're always saying nice flowery things about what we believe and we believe in God and, and depend on him in all things. But it did catch me a little bit off guard, probably because of my background. And um, it, and the thing that was going on was he, was he was experiencing the true narrowness of coming into contact with God in a way that I, I wasn't and I wasn't really prepared for. He was really... And that was very good. It was a very good experience to stop and say, wait a second, hmm. There's narrowness as you enter into a relationship with God in the Christian faith. The Christians, uh, if you pulled them, they they would talk about this, how this narrow gate is sort of like when you become a Christian, when you continue to figure out what Christianity is like, it's like you're walking through this tiny, if you think of an actual door, a tiny little door like this that you can just kind of squeeze through, you know, and and you realize this backpack that you thought was so important for the journey and for the path that that it it has to come off. And the person at the gate is saying, oh, yeah, 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 you don't need that beyond here. And you're going, no, but I thought I really, no, I really, I need that. (laughs) It's narrow. And we find, you know, the backpack analogy can represent your your pride in certain areas of your life, your self-sufficiency that you cling to so much, the identity security providers that you cling to and that you look to always, um, such as money or such as your reputation. Sometimes that backpack is even relationships in our lives. How intense that can be. Um, To enter Jesus' gate is to really lay on the line a frightening amount of things, but somehow, also, if you talk to a Christian about it, there's something really interesting that's happening. Is that um, if you do enter in that way, if you do enter the narrow great gate, you actually end up singing about things that no one who hasn't entered the gate could even imagine singing about. There's a song, there's a hymn. Um, I mean, only Christians would write a hymn like this. Only Christians would sing a song like this. Um, it's called, Come Now, Almighty King, Father All-Glorious, or All-Victorious, Come and reign over us, Ancient of Days. Thou who Almighty art, now rule in every heart, and never from us depart, Spirit of Power. I mean, who gets to a point of singing a song, Come and reign over us? Isn't that terrifying? That's what happens the Christian eventually as they enter through the narrow gate. And it's because there is a refreshing broadness, actually, of the narrow path. Now, I said there's three points. The second one is actually the shocking narrowness of the broad path. Then we'll get to the refreshing broadness of the narrow path. Well, let's just look at the, the broad path a second. I think one of the greatest examples of the broad path that Jesus is referring to in Matthew chapter 7 is actually found, if you go all the way back to the beginning of the story, in the Bible, where there's Adam and Eve in the garden, and they're tempted. And they eat the fruit from the tree of life, or uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then you see kind of all the consequences. There is a shocking narrowness of the broad path. In a sense, that temptation was all about... Um, Eve being confronted with the argument that, oh, you're really taking the na- you're really- so narrow-minded, <laughs> such a simpleton, so naive, that fruit? Come on, all fruits lead towards spiritual experience. You know, all, all uh, don't let God box you in with this narrowness of what you can and can't do. Progress through that. Move on, and it looks so good, and Eve and Adam, they take a bite, in a sense, never, they probably never felt more broad-minded than just at that moment. Is that it looked so clear. The broad path was the way to go. And then comes the narrowness. I mean, everything begins to narrow and narrow and narrow. They're sent out of the garden from walking in the garden with God. Farming becomes difficult. Childbearing becomes difficult. Relationships become difficult. Um, their children, one of their children kills the other one, and, and the mess unfolds. The narrowness, narrowness, narrowness comes in and in and closes in on them quickly as soon as they make that very broad-minded decision to not be boxed in by God. And you don't just see it in the Bible. You see this actually. There's a surprising narrowness to the broadness that we, that we feel in our bones culturally. One of the analogies that's often pointed to. When it comes to faith in God, what we are like is we're like, um, we're like a bunch of blind people all touching an elephant, and each of us is touching a different part of the elephant. You've probably heard this. So one of us is touching the tail, and we say, oh, um, you know, what I'm touching is an elephant is like a rope, <laughs> right? And somebody else is touching a uh, like a leg and says, oh, the... An elephant is like a, a trunk of a tree and someone else is touching its ear and says the ele- elephant is like a, a piece of canvas, a thick piece of canvas, and someone else is touching a trunk and says an elephant is, is hard and, and, um, and it's like a, sl- a tapering cylindrical shape. And they're all right. They're all correct. And we have to apply this to the issue of faith. We're all... So, so you see how the metaphor applies um, to the spiritual realm. Now there's one very gaping hole to that illustration there's one problem with it is that there's somebody in the illustration who's not blindfolded there's somebody who says well I see everything I have the one perspective that no one else can see and everybody has to fit into my perspective there's somebody looking in on the situation and saying well this is how reality is See, there's a there's an there's a narrowness even to the most broad-minded kind of religious thinking that we have. Someone says, "You're not supposed to, um, you're not supposed to." I don't believe in doctrines. I don't believe you need to hang on to doctrines. You just need to, just need to be a good person, and everybody can find their way to being good. You say, well, wait, 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 wait." You you say you don't believe in doctrines, but you just verbalize the doctrine of justification by works. <laughs> um. Somebody says there's some, it's like a mountain and we're all climbing to the top through different paths. And, but the point is that we're all climbing up and that we get to the top. Um, but you realize that even if you say that, if you say everybody has to look at faith like that, you've just made a very aggressive, assertive belief statement about God and you've put it out there and said everybody else has to fit that. You're violating the very thing. There's almost no way to be completely... Everybody has to be narrow. Even when you're at your broadest, you're, you begin to narrow the broader that you think you are when it comes to thinking about God. Now, not, not only this. Now, I'm saying there's a shocking narrowness to the broad path, but there's also a destructive uncertainty if you're on the broad path. If you're on the broad path, you say, well, you know, um, it doesn't really matter what you believe. But at some point, you have to say, what does matter? At some point, you have to say, yeah, but like most people will say, as long as your heart is in the right place, as long as your intentions are mostly good, as long as you do enough good. And then at some point, you have to make a cutoff, don't you then? You have to say, well, somewhere in there is the place where I say you haven't done enough good. And eventually, at some point, even though you might even deny it, at some point, you get to a point where you say, you know, I'm starting to wonder and it gets narrower and narrower, you start to say, I'm starting to wonder, have I been broad-minded enough? (laughs) And there's this uncertainty that begins to plague you. In fact, the narrow path, the narrow path, where the gate is narrow and the path is narrow, is actually the only way It's the only way to avoid making some kind of cutoff somewhere that you have to reach. It's the only way to avoid walking along the path and always wondering, have I made the cut? Have I been broad-minded enough? Have I been loving enough? Because in the Christian faith, the narrow gate means the gate, you don't have to win the gate. You don't have to spend your life on the path trying to win the gate and hope you get to the gate. That path keeps narrowing and narrowing and there is no gate. The Christian, the Christian says, I know that I don't win the gate. It's narrow, but I don't win it. Jesus won it for me. Um, and so that kind of leads us to say why there's some refreshing broadness of the narrow path. Um, I think if you're, if you're honest, you have to say, if you're a Christian, you have to say that the, the narrowness of the Christian path annoys you, is frustrating, that when Jesus says, in John sixteen or John fourteen, verse six, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That when you, when you, when you feel how that statement feels in your bones and in, in the broad, broadness of our religious ethos, you wrestle with it. A Christian often has points where they look at the broad path and with, with great jealousy and envy. Um, and yet. Um, there is an assurance of god 's grace that is dramatic because Jesus won the gate, so the Christian enters the gate, the narrow gate, and walks on the narrow path and Just like what narrowness does is it squeezes you in a sense you know if i if a a bug walked out right now and I stepped on it what what did it die of? Narrowness right right I mean. It didn't have enough space, that narrowness, it feels like it's going to kill you. You get squeezed in the gate, and the narrow path, it squeezes you. It's, it, squeezes, uh, it squeezes on you in the areas of, um, I mean, if you look at the Bible, the Bible's perspective on money, that it's not, that your money is not all yours, that it, all of it is a gift from God, that in some way you have treasures with God that make you look at money as basically just dispensable to be used for whatever God wants. The Bible has a lot of narrow-minded ideas. That's not the... The, the Bible has narrow-minded ideas of, what, of forgiveness, in a sense, that squeeze you. If you walk into a church for the first time and you're hearing about the gospel and you realize that, you know what, Christians are, are basically taught not to hold grudges and to forgive the people who have hurt you the most in life and to work towards forgiveness... And you go, whoa, that's, wow, that squeezes me. And you look at the, the Bible's statements about sex and how it fits it within, I mean, this is so narrow-minded, it fits it within kind of lifelong committed relationships of marriage. And you, and you go, that's so extremely narrow-minded. It squeezes me. In all these ways, um, we're squeezed and the only thing the Christian hangs on to is the dramatic, freeing uh, assurance of God's grace that Jesus won the gate. It undergirds it all, despite all my failures, despite all my failures to be squeezed by the narrow path and to always lust for and long for the broad path. Undergirding life. Undergirding life is that I don't win this path. The gate, I don't worry about entrance. I don't worry about... Um, whether I'm going to get to the, the good point at the end of this path or not. The narrow path is filled with a growing and growing... Maybe you don't feel it. Maybe you say, I'm a Christian and I don't feel it. But it, but it grows little by little. The assurance the, the assurance that you didn't have to win the gate and you never have to. And that Jesus comes as God's Son. And is, when you look at his death and resurrection, and we look at his death through the sacrament that we'll be looking at um, shortly... And you say, it is there that Jesus' own life, God's Son, was squeezed to win the gate for me forever. And that's one way that I'm not going to be squeezed. You know, basically the Christian ends up saying things that are just unbelievable. They're so broad. There's a refreshing, incredible broadness of the Christian faith that has someone saying, you know what, I am so free. I'm free from debilitating insecurities that were all about whether I was doing enough in life, whether I measured up to certain things. I'm so free from being defined by how other people view me. I'm so freed from defining myself by my employment status or by what my mother or father think of me or by the track record that I have. I'm, I'm so free from this negative track record of selfish living that I have in the past that just keeps plaguing me. I'm so free. Someone says, no, 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 you're a Christian. What a narrowness. How narrow. And you say, no, I feel free. I don't have to go around judging uh, with a a moral meter all the time, looking around at everyone, judging them. Worry has begun to fade in my life. Money has begun to look like a frivolous thing. Time has become dispensable. See, someone looks at it and says, that's so narrow. All those things, you're you're in such a narrow place. And the Christian says, no, I'm free. You have no idea. In, um I actually got to finish the, the Chronicles of Narnia with my two sons um, just this year. I think it took us about a year to read through all seven books. And in the last battle, there's this fascinating um, scene, this fascinating concept that the writer C.S. Lewis brings out. And this is the kind of thing that really I feel like we need to understand What Jesus is talking about in Matthew 27, because there's this stable, this shed that when you're outside, it looks terrible and awful and small. When you're inside, you've entered into this whole new world. And so and so um, this king called Tyrion, he declares. After experiencing all of this, he says, it seems then that the stable seen from within and the stable seen from without are two different places. Yes," said the Lord Daigiri. it "Its inside is bigger than its outside. That's exactly what it's like to journey in the Christian faith. That's the narrowness and the broadness, all wrapped up in one. Someone says, "Aren't you afraid someday to meet to meet this narrow-minded God who came and said these kind of narrow-minded things? Aren't you afraid to meet this God someday? Aren't you terrified?" And the Christian says, "No, I can't wait. I cannot wait." Because what I have learned on this path is that in my inauguration through the gate, that I was overwhelmed with an outpouring of God's gracious love despite all my faults. My baptism tells me that over and over every time I think of it. I've been washed And I experienced little bits of that on this narrow journey, but someday at the end, someday I'm going to meet this God and his refreshing, outpouring love is going to come to me like this incredible embrace of the Father. And I'm going to sing. And that's why I sing now incredible things that no one else wants to sing, like come and reign over us, because I already get glimpses of what that loving king is like. He's like a father embracing me more and more on this narrow path. Let's pray that that would be true and that we'd know that love as we walk forward in life. Gracious God, will you speak to us through um, not only this message, not only your scripture, but speak to us also through um, the sacrament of the Lord's Supper as we have a chance to consider and look at um, the end of your life Um, when you were on earth in Jesus Christ and we have a chance to to look at it and consider the great love that comes from your death on our behalf. When you died the death we should have died and after living the life we should have lived, will you speak to us through this and convince us that as narrow and as squeezed as it might look and feel initially, that there's a shocking, incredible, remarkable broadness of freeing nature to the path If only we would look to you with our hands outstretched, accepting your grace. Bring this grace to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.